Hi, I'm Jennifer Zollett. And I'm Larkin Bell. Welcome to our podcast, A Brighter Lens. episode, we chatted with Tanya Siracho. Tanya is a playwright and television writer who serves as creator, showrunner, and executive producer of the critically acclaimed series Vita on Stars, which earned a 100% critical rating on Rotten Tomatoes for its first, second, and third seasons. The show, which recently aired its third and sadly final season, featured all Latina directors in seasons two and three, including Tanya, who made her directorial debut last year. The season had an all-Latinx writer's room for seasons one and two, and in season three, the room was composed of all-Latina writers. We chatted with Tanya about making the jump from writing and showrunning to directing and the importance of Latinx representation on television. Enjoy! Hello! Hi! Hi. Oh my gosh, hi! Hi, Tanya! Hi! There's light! Hey! Yay! (laughs) Tanya, wow! Thank you so much for joining us today. We are clearly thrilled to be talking with I'm you. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. To be talking to anyone, but to be talking to you. I feel that, yes. <laughs> I'm a, a barren uh, singleton spinster during the um, quarantine. I didn't even know until March 13th. I was like, oh, well, that's right. I'm single and I live alone with two cats. But I never realized how sad that is, you know. You know anyway. um, but we are such huge fans of Vita and we're so sad about the final season Uh, I mean that it was the final season is what we're sad about love Vita Uh, what was it like to premiere the third season during quarantine and did you get a chance to celebrate um, ending the first show that you created no Mm. and uh, it was so complicated because at first we had a pandemic and that's how we started so like our we didn't get so we didn't get to do the ritual and we're very uh ritualistic and in the cast and the crew like my writers um you know the sabrinas and they and sandrina they come to my room like we all believe which means that and what i mean by ritual um i mean we didn't get to do the 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 party, not the rap party, yeah. the, the premiere party, which is when I was going to say thank you, you know, because uh, I've been through the three trimesters by my myself through different people with different people. First trimester, writing, right? Then you leave the writers for the most part, and then you go produce it. Then it's a new sort of trimester of people, and then you they're done. So so the cast was done last year, you know. Mm-hmm. But then my my editors, all those women, it was all female editor um, suite, um, the whole thing. Uh, and um, and they've been working on it from the beginning. That then that's the the last of the storytellers. You know, like that's like um, man, editors are so I, they're so important in my world and in the world of this, right? Uh, but then you you know the two other trimesters you haven't really. I mean, you're you're in this trimester, so so a party like that it unites all of us, you know. Uh, and and I mean, of if any of of any season, this should have been the season to be like. To, to hold each other and say thank you and toast, you know, and be like, all right, we got three seasons to tell our lovely story, you know, but it didn't happen. It was a Zoom thing on 
wait, no, it was like we did it Insta stories, like five or 10 minutes each with um, uh, Curly. Um, and then we did this Zoom together, but it didn't, it just felt, I, when we got off and I actually got really drunk, I drank a whole thing of mezcal. And that was the first time I drank that much alone in the quarantine. I, I like closed my laptop and I just bawled and bawled and it felt so empty, like such an empty performative thing. Cause we did like star sent us like a background and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and I like put all the makeup. I did like, did, like, like Coachella jewel. Like I was like, cause it, you know, queer senora theme. And I just cried and cried. And then the next day it was like, did not get out of bed. It was just, it was, yeah, it, it was artificial. Cause this thing that we're doing right now is so mm -hmm. it's, it's artificial, you know, anyway. And then the, the, that, and it was fine. Cause then I still had like, you know, like this, like podcasts and things to do. I was still, and, and the show was on and I was in conversation on Twitter and stuff with people about it. Okay, great. But the finale happened during the first weekend of the uprising. I wouldn't even dare. I, w I didn't even watch it. Like hmm. I, I did not tweet. I did like, how dare we promote a show? Even though this is the most like important thing in my life, it doesn't, it, this is not the most important thing in our life right now. Dear friend Roberta, but also she plays Nico. Uh, we were talking this weekend and she felt, she was like, we didn't get to say goodbye. It's like, it didn't happen. It, it was like, it, it fizzled. So it has no ending. We didn't get closure. Um, because historically these parties have been really meaningful to us. Like we, you know, a bunch of Latinos like <laughs> getting real emotional with some tequila. Yes. You know? <laughs> Well, it seems like, yeah, like such a family. I mean, yeah. that's what the, the series really focuses on, which I, I love how it grapples with the theme of family and what that means. And it, it seems like it really did translate from what you're saying and also from interviews I've read with you of just how you really cultivated that sense with the cast and crew. I think my theater background uh, and having an ensemble, I had an ensemble for 10 years, you know, uh, and we traveled together, we, you know, performed together, washed the toilets together. We did everything as an ensemble. We did like of our little theater. We were like, we sanded the floors, we everything. And I wrote the things, I was in them as an actor, you know, directed them. Um, so I wanted this to be as close to a theater troupe, like one of those ensembles as, and you know, there was a lot of teatrista, a lot of theater uh, makers in this anyway. Um, and so it, it lends itself. And also it just, I think, so it started with the writers, right? The writers are like the, the seed, you know, they, they, and we had, it was only one cis male and the rest, um, a lot of the rest were Latinas first and second season. And the last season, all Latina writers, all Latina directors to the last two seasons. Um, and it, something happens in like the cocoon of that, like the safety and the conversations are deeper, like more like, um, I don't know. I, it, it's, it, it felt the closest it felt in my life was Teatro Luna, my all Latina theater company from before. And it just, there, there's a safety in it, you know, uh, a safety to, um, you feel safe to take risks and stuff. And then, and that's key because those are the creators of the world, right? Those are, or at least with me and they're either co-parenting or they're um, the doulas, you know? And then, and then I sort of say goodbye, except I keep one. I mean, people can come for their episodes, um, but like there's one writer that I always, it's usually um, Jennifer Gomez <laughs> on set. And um, cause I can't live without her. Um, she, I love uh, Jennifer. She's um, she started off as my script coordinator and then I made her staff and then she was producer by the end. I like, 
you know, so people, you just can't live with that, their opinion, their like point of view. I'm like this, like this. I haven't shut up and let you talk. Um, and she's just calm and chill and stuff. Anyway, I, um, but that, to watch her grow too, it's like so many attachments, so many, you know, this, this show meant so much to so many people. It wasn't just a show a lot for a lot of us. It was our entry point. You know, it was my entry point into this um, boss ass lady world, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know how, what's going to happen now, but uh, and like my cinematographer, Carmen Cabana, she's um, had never run uh, a camera unit. Uh, she'd only done second unit. She's really fucking talented. And we gave her her own unit and she made our show look like she did. Now, did we have to hand, hold her hand because she'd never run a 36 person, you know, like a department? Sure. Did she make mistakes? Yes. But you, but like proof is in the pudding. Look oh, at how it looks, you know? Oh, it's beautiful. So, um, and now she's like doing high fidelity. I can't get her. She's fancy. And that's <laughs> exactly what we want, you know? Yeah. All my writers need to be showrunners, you know? All my, like, that's what we want. And that, that makes me super proud of the, the show. Like right now, that's what I'm remembering and thinking about. Yes, yes, yes. We did the story. That was nice. I, I can't tell you right now what the story was. Just the second, but <laughs> people are so real to me. The people, the work, yeah. the work we did, how we right. did it, you know? Wow. Yeah. I love that. And just the way you spoke to ensemble, we're both from theater backgrounds. So that really resonated and just I just want to comment on how beautiful it is that you created that space for all of these people to do their work and to learn. And then that allows for them to go on and do more work. And keep, I just think that's really beautiful. And the cast is going to do that too. I feel like yeah. some of those people are, you're going to be like, oh, remember she started on Vida and now she's Diggy Diggy. Like she's, mm -hmm. for, you know, yeah. Or he. Yeah, so funny. I was telling this side note, telling Jennifer, yeah. um, out of all the TV shows I've ever watched, I knew the most people from the cast in this show than of any show I've watched. And I think it's because of just doing theater in Los Angeles and theater people. You just kind of want always in TV and film, you kind of want to work with theater people. The, the work ethic is undeniable usually, right? You like people... <laughs> We, they'll learn their lines and I'm telling you people who don't have theater background I, I sometimes they don't I had issues in, on my show with pretty big you know people some people who didn't have theater background and, and it's it's a work ethic thing you know just keep going don't you don't stop the take just keep going it's that keep going thing and like just do it <laughs> you know because we have that um as an actor I think one time I threw up on stage and I like did it and kept going. Cause what do yeah. you do? You keep going. No, you keep going. That's the only like, option you have. Yeah. And I was like, and I, I pretended it was a cough and I threw up and, and then I like kept going and everyone knew, but not the audience, like on stage, you know, but like, you just keep going. And I like, I love like uh, Melissa who plays um, Lynn. Oh my God. For two, a half a second. I forgot the name of the character. Do you see what's happening? <laughs> uh, like we were doing season two, this, this sex scene where she was wearing nothing basically up in a rooftop and it was 40, 37 degrees, something like that. That's a theater girl. She just kept going like, and made it and didn't like when we were, you know, roll cameras, she was not shivering. She was shivering the whole other, you know, but um, I don't find the same. I mean, I only have one show to compare it to and the times that I've been on set for the other shows, but 
I find now I'm, I'm divorced from the theater <laughs> right now where we're, do- she, she was my wife, but we're no longer together. Okay. Um, but was I watching last night till 3am uh, a Martin Mandana play? Um, the hangman, I mean, oh, hangman last night that, that I, I got it. That's his new one, right? No, like 20, well, 2016 over there. Oh, it came to the that's right, that's right. But somebody gave me a bootleg um, national theater. You know, national theater yeah, has yeah. like, oh, yeah. well, they're like, oh, I have it. And I was like, shut up. So I started it at 1 a.m. I'm watching because I, I love theater, but I'm mad at the American theater. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, no, I just feel that. Um, but kind of bringing it back to the theater, just a quick, this is kind of a nitty gritty question. And something I think you do really well on Vita is um, is the combining of both English and Spanish in, in all the scenes. And I think a reason why it's it's done so well is because the subtext is so clear. Like, yes, I may not understand every Spanish word, but I get the moment of the scene. And I'm curious how you like struck that balance and like, or maybe it's just second nature to you, so you didn't really think that much about it. But I just, I mean, it feels very intentional and very well done. Wonder if you could speak to that. Well, I think it was um, second nature by now because my 16 plays are all like that, you know? So like, I I already had to um, fight the battles in the theater and in those panels after they watch a play and the audience angrily yells at you for like, do you want to alienate us? Why is it in so much Spanish? Why don't you do super titles all the time? Do super titles. And I was like, you are fine. <laughs> you don't miss anything. Now, oh, some, this is a, the biggest offense, especially to uh, when somebody laughs at a joke, like so someone's next to you and it's a joke in Spanish and they laugh. It's, it, you're not missing story. You're never missing story. I might, it might be the way they say the thing. It might, it, or yes, it's a joke. And that joke is not meant for you. And that's okay. For so long, we've been alienated from like the experience of, you know, that I, I am unbothered by people who, and also no, no subtitles. That was early on. That was like, I mean, you can turn them on in the captions. I don't know what they look like. What do they look like? The caption, like, I don't do know. they do English and Spanish? I, I have never turned them on. I don't know. But I do for like BBC shows. <laughs> like Peaky Blinders. I'm like, I need these captions. I gotta have it for Peaky Blinders. <laughs> yeah, you gotta have them. Yeah, no, it's a, I guess it'd be back then when I made those decisions as a, as an artist in theater, they became like a, um, a, a political act, you know, to be like put brown bodies the, with our accurate tongues on stage. Like that's like, radical but i'm not like fuck it this is how we talk you know and um now i'm just like it's i've just accepted and also when you have so many uh oh my god that was such a chicago have when you have (laughs) when you have so many so many latinx in the room um they're gonna keep you honest and how like because i listen i there are a couple of shows that i do see the spanglish and it's so Oh, it's, it's not how we talk, you know, it's like this, uh, um, it's, I don't know. So I, I like that I have a, a Latina room that like keeps me honest. And it's like, that's, you're being theatrical or don't, that's not how we, you know, also because I'm from Texas and then moved to Chicago that people get, um, people get angry when they feel left out. No. Okay. Hold on. Let me rephrase this. Yeah. The dominant culture is not used to feeling left out. They get angry. Um, I used to, I, I stopped doing um, 
the talkbacks at theater talkbacks because that it became just about that especially like some uh like el nogalar i i did an adaptation of the cherry orchard but pecan trees um and nogalar that's what those are called and um at the goodman and um uh, i was like I, i can't do these talkbacks anymore it was all just angry older people of the dominant persuasion just being like do you want us to feel it and i was like i can't they're not talking about the play they're talking about their like experience right. and feeling alienated and i'm like i think they should be it's a, you know anytime something's about immigrants and stuff good experience it just a little bit you know but that yeah. feels like to me yeah feeling that discomfort we've talked about that yeah. a lot about how people white people just uh don't, don't want to feel any discomfort. Yeah, no discomfort. Don't feel uh, otherized in any way. Uh, don't wear your mask. No, yeah. <laughs> no. I mean that's, that's part like of it. No, I think that's literally part of related. It. Yeah. yeah, it's really yeah. But like, you don't go to Boyle Heights and get a translator app as you walk down the sidewalk. No, you have your the experience you have. So you should have when you watch Vida the experience you would have if you go to East LA or Boyle Heights. You get what you get. You know. Mm-hmm. Which it's not even, it's a lot of English. It's not, yeah. it's just. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm understanding all the moments. Yeah, everything. Like, yeah. Also, those two girls don't speak Spanish. So that's a big part of them. No, meaning like the characters. Emma had to learn her Spanish. She says she, I learned it because our mother was a pocha. First time I heard that term in, uh, in on television, but it's a term that we've been carrying for decades, you know, mm-hmm. that we never mm-hmm. hear on TV. Pocha is, and we explain it, it's like, that hybrid when you have that hybrid tongue that's what a pocha is like not fully spanish not fully english you know mm-hmm. but um but so they they're american girls that don't speak the language so you're yeah no i love that and i thought yeah that episode where they're she's um lynn is talking about having two tongues and just like that. grappling with that i was like wow you know yeah. what that um i knew that was gonna come because that's like in my plays and stuff and i was like oh they're telling me this is my last season I got to put that um, born with two tongues monologue, which is a very yeah. common, I'm a border girl too. It's a very common, uh, like, um, w- worry, concern, uh, regret that we have as, you know, or American Latinas have, you know, mm-hmm. so. Um, yeah, and just like, like where you fit in and yeah. don't fit in with everybody. My sister has a store on Etsy. It's called Ni De Aquí Ni De Allá, neither from here nor there, because sometimes you feel that way. You go back home and they call you a gringa. You know, you go to Mexico because our, our Spanish starts to sound more Americanized. We're here. I can't, well, you saw me. I'm, I've been code switching the whole time, but I live code switching and I have to modulate my, like where my accents are from because you, 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 you're here and you code switch. I'm, you know, I'm not a citizen. I'm, um, I'm an immigrant, like not first generation. I am the generation that came. So like, there's a lot of, tongue work you have to do when you're that way and I, I get you know Melissa too I mean not the character but Melissa the the actor she's Mexican from Mexico so like when you have to modulate that and, and try to pass it's very uh, you're very aware of your tongue aware of your tongue switching yeah gears a little bit I mean <laughs> it's still on Vita but um I just want to talk about your experience directing and how that evolved and how um, you ended up directing the episodes that you did and just what was that like for you? I never, and this I, I say in all earnestness, like I never thought I would ever direct anything with a camera just because it seemed like you had to have so much experience, training, all that. And um, and I always talk about this woman, but uh, the reason why I am 
I, I met stars and I have Vida is because of Marta Fernandez. Um, she found me. I'm not going to say discovered me. I'm not, I wasn't like colonized by her. But she, just, she found me and then said, and this is the most radical thing, said, this girl does not need a babysitter. Usually they give you like this white older guy, like to hold your hand or, or you're the creator and you don't even get to show on your show. You know, that's mm. happens happening. I'm seeing that happen to a lot of friends, you know, like they have the story they created and then someone else runs it. So she defended me in there uh, at no point where they giving me a babysitter. When I said, Hey, I want all Latina writers. Yup. I'll, you know, I, it has to be all Latinx, um, director. Yep. Like all the female, it, it never. So when you have like a partner, like that, that's what you need in the castle to let you in and to champion you. Cause like, it's not just getting in. It's all, there's a battle every day for something that of, because how you make your show is as important as you know, what you make, um, the, the content, you know, um, it, the, the pedigree of it is very, you know, and she defended that. And I, I just have to say her name and that's the, uh, the equation. Fernandez. Marta Fernandez, like, like I had a sister in there, you know? And then, so she, at the end of season one, she was like, <laughs> she's really dry. She's like, you're directing next season. Oh no. I said like maybe fourth season, maybe I'm going to take some class. I'm all about like, I'm going to take classes and then no, no, you're directing. You, you're over. I, I am a helicopter showrunner. Like I, I never leave set. I'm next to the director all the time. And as soon as the director, she gets up, I go, right. <laughs> I go with her. And I'm like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and also, I mean, as much as the DJ will allow, because you're not, you know, but like, I never, thank God I've had such good experiences with directors for the most part, because they have not minded or they haven't told me, but I'm right, like, I'm like, we get up, sides, what are you doing to tell her? What are you, oh, is that the problem? You know what problem, like, it's like, I am so hovery, so hovery, but you know what? that's also why I was able to direct and it was so seamless and um because I'd it, been doing it watching them too so closely and um it like got a little bit of that training that I didn't have and then I fell in love with it I love it so much I I am crazy about it and then I directed half the season this past season and I was like and we you know we had less resources they took some of my budget and that but I still and I hope you don't notice it's gorgeous like we i like that because we couldn't afford some stuff like our solutions are so we're so vida like we couldn't like last season you saw a wedding at a really nice and tacky um like um a venue right we were like wow how we get really tacky and, that, and we got it right and then this season we wanted a like there are these quinceanera venues that we wanted but it's like we don't have the money so backyard quinceanera Yes, that's so Vida. Like, that's there's nothing more Vida than that. Like, these people would not have gotten a for a 30 year old, like a you know. So I, I like I love that our solutions that were because of money would have been, you know, part of the world solution of that Vida world solutions because of money. Same thing with um like the, the everything, just everything. We have to use that backyard for everything. <laughs> because we, you know, um that's we were already paying for that intersection, you know, so like that's but that already that also um meant that we were doing ex night exteriors for a week straight which was like there was and then three night the other week like it was because you know we kept having these night things out there and they're a little epic no one slept no one. and then that week too um 
eight eight people got this horrible stomach flu that was going through uh, LA through, through LA Productions. Um, there was like a production that had to shut down because of it. Well, the day we shot my finale, my finale of my show, um, eight people in the camera department were out with the with the flu, the stomach flu. I didn't have any of my ca- two camera teams. And I think also, yeah, it was like that. It was like, oh, I don't, this guy, does he get it? You know, anyway, it was um, also, you know, I have um, a female team, a whole, like a puller and, a, and an operator, a female. And then it was like more males. And I was like, I don't know them. I, and, it was, and it was like my, it was, you know, those girls, uh, the actors are crying. It's the whole thing. And you're doing it with strangers which I'm so grateful they came last minute, but um, these freaking uh, stomach flus, it was foretelling for what we're living now. Let's not go back too soon, people. Just saying. Yeah. And speaking of, yeah, the current moment that we're in, pandemic, we've got, Mm -hmm. you know, our nation's reckoning with racial injustice coupled with the ending of your show how are you staying creative how what has that been looking like 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 i said the first two months i was just on uh survival mode and i was barren and i closed my eyes and i saw nothing and that has never happened since i was like 12. like that there's nothing going on in there uh it was just darkness and fear and um how am I gonna you know I'm diabetic I can't talk to people I get it was just that and so I if we would have talked the first two months I was like I think I'm never gonna write again because it felt so barren and then yes I started doing all my I'm gonna say prayers but you can say spells um for like to call the muse to me to like open up my creativity to like what all whatever you want to you know because I was desperate also because that was too alone by myself. Like that was too, too quiet when we're that quiet, you know? Um, oh, and then this is embarrassing, but I, I watched in this, I watched Emma, the new mm-hmm. Emma 27 times, <laughs> but the first two months it was, you had to pay for it every two days, 20 bucks. That's where all my money went. I, but I mean, I watched now I own it. So like the last 17 times or something I've, you know, but, but I don't, and I think it was because I came, like, I wanted a plate of cupcakes, like uh, for a movie, everyone was watching like Tiger King and you know Tiger King and all those dark, you know, I was like, no, I want, but at the end of the movie, there was this song and I looked up the singer and I didn't stop. Like I, it's British folk. And he, he was actually Mr. Knightley too in the movie. <laughs> Well, I'm writing a British British folk thing that takes place in London right now. Mexican at the center, of course. I mean, but it was this weird way of finding it. And I'm like, I usually, the Vida music is really important because it's it's a lot of it is from my playlist. I love the music, by the way. That's what I listen to. All females, mostly Latinas, um, or at least women of color in that vein. And so like, so what's whiter than a, Right, you know, like a British folk. So I'm like your fiddle, banjo, and I'm. That's what, it's so weird how these weird little and then it it just opened, you know, and now I like 
and now I like, I, there's not like a day that I don't listen to Johnny Flynn, <laughs> which is so weird, you know, Laura Marling. Like, it's weird that I know these anyway. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's so what I'm saying. I did, I it, it just opened up and now it's and and the rituals still help, um, all the time. Uh, I'm the weird girl that's walks, um, touching trees. I do my walk around and yeah, I don't care. Like now they're used to the neighbors, you know, but I'd be like, walk the next street, touch street, whatever the fuck, listen, whatever you need to do. But it opened in this weird way. And now it's like, you know, so, um, I don't, that's not like advice because I don't know how it happened, but it just, and then I went with it, you know, British folk. I'm going to send you the song. They're going to be like, I, it's, he's a poet, this guy. Wow. He's very talented. I never thought I'd be like, this is, this is the weirdest thing for me. Like when uh, my friends were like, first of all, they were worried that I watch Emma so many times. They were like, are you out? Do we need to do something? Cause they were like talking about shows that were moving on. I was like, I'm going to watch Emma again tonight and drink mezcal. <laughs> they were like, are you all right? Adrian, especially oh. it was always like, what the fuck is, and then, um, and then this thing, I try to share it with him to be like, no, you don't understand. It opens my mind. And he's like, you're not okay, you know? Um, but I am, I'm fine. British folk. So I'm trying, I'm trying to go to London and be there a few, well, so I can write this yeah. thing now that is in my life now that I was like, wait, what, you know? Um, but I do have a love for this place. I, I dated someone for four years uh, in Scotland. And so I spent five Christmases and and for uh, Hogmanays, Hogmanays are New Year. Um, that's what they call it. So like I, you know, there's there's a love, but not, not it wasn't conscious. Like this whole thing is like, culturally you start, like I'm reading Robin, I mean, Robert McFarland. Like we, it's weird to be into full, into, you know, like from, from someone so into my culture and being like, so, you know, but you um, talking about this um, project, it's like, why are we never centering our otherness because every time I go to the UK my Mexicanness gets erased because their understanding of Mexicanness is almost zero like oh my god I hope Colin doesn't listen to this but his mom was like um what do you call the wee flat things I'm like tortillas <laughs> like the the knowledge is so it's we're almost invisible over there you know so to under to understand me they don't fully you know especially like a big not argument but it was like a big polemic when um i was like i'm brown i'm a brown person and they're like don't understand how you're hold on you understand how and it, it because the reference points are different you know anyway so why not write that tv show where how like what is your identity when you when a hybrid identity when you go there when you sound like an american but you're not just an american so, so, so then I, I was like, what? Yeah, this is, yeah. thank you, Johnny Flynn, for this fucking, you know, <laughs> for this inspiration. You know what I mean? And Laura Marling. Oh my God. That's what I was listening to right before. I, she's so emo. I love her. That's, but that's the world that I would never, I just, does that little world I would never, yeah. you know? Anyway. Wow. That is fascinating. Um, and yeah, you got to go with the muse wherever she, you know, wherever she appears, you got to, got to go with it. I was asking for her for months and she brought this. So off to London we go. <laughs> yeah, and she brought she brought it in the form of Johnny Flynn. Like we're not mad about. She brought it in the form of this these because also Cosmo Sheldrake, this guy who makes music with fun fungus. I don't know, but that's amazing. <laughs> I'm gonna send you Please these do. videos. I need to watch this. It's it, Johnny Flynn was the way in, you know. But but now I'm like, 
you know, Sam Lee, all these people that I would never have, you know, but exactly. You have to listen to the muse. That is the real thing. And the muse, because I have a political, like I know where I look for my, my, my stories. Uh, it's the stories of, of, you know, modern uh, young immigrants sometimes like, like, or, or, or children of immigrants, queer, brown queers. But this one found me from like utter whiteness, right? But, but, but in placing myself in it, then it's like, well, it is a brown story, you know? So, um, but it, yeah, listen to the muse. She will come however the fuck she wants. She, you don't tell her how she comes. No. She comes mm-hmm. how she wants. Wow, I love that. That seems like a good note to end on. Um, but we, we actually end every interview with our lightning round called three, two, one action. Um, so we'll start with number three, favorite or most influential film. I'm going to stay in the Anglophilic world. Um, uh, favorite Notting Hill favorite. Like I can put it on and watch it and, and recite it back all the time. Um, most influential is um, like water for chocolate. Um, when I watched it, um, it did something. And I was like, oh, and also we deserve an epic female centric tale like that. Like when I watched it, it did so much that I'm still unpacking. So those are my two. Amazing. Two dream person you want to work with. I want to work. I'm dying to work with Isa Lopez. She, uh, she, she's like, um, she's a, a filmmaker. Um, uh, she did this beautiful movie called, um, Los Tigres No Tienen Miedo, Tigers Are Not Afraid. Uh, and she's like Guillermo del Toro's favorite, like she's like genre more like horror, but I think she could hook it up with like character stuff. And I would love to like, I, I'm just dying to work with her. I like it, but it's it's a real dream that I want to make reality to Isa Lopez. Um, one, best advice you've received? You know, I get asked this a lot and I, <laughs> I don't have any memorable advice that I've used, but no. Every time I've been told no, it has crushed me. I crumble and then I build myself up and then I'm like, fuck you. And then Vida comes or whatever, come, you know, uh, I was dying uh, from um, actually a coronavirus um, in my spine. I had two back surgeries, um, but MRSA, MRSA is a coronavirus too. Uh, when I wrote Vida and it felt like all the no's, like I couldn't walk for six months, all these things, all the no's were like, fuck you, I'm going to live. And, and, and um, there were so many times we couldn't given, could have given up or also the career no's. I'm getting told no's right now a lot on the download um, post Vida. And it's so, I'm in the depressed part, but I am looking forward to going, fuck you. You know, you just have to figure out what the fuck you is. But so it's not that I've gotten memorable advice. You know, I've never had a mentor. So, um, that's sad. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be a good mentor to people now. Cause it's like, every time I get this question and I get this a lot is, um, I don't, I don't know. What did they tell me? I you feel know? like that was Just a good know Yeah. Yeah. Has been the most powerful thing. Cause I'm yeah. like, e por qué? No. <laughs> but I do like the no, fuck you. I think that like, but no, fuck yeah, you is the, the turn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause we're going to get told no. I mean, I thought it was going to be a little bit easier after Vida. Hmm. It's, no no who are you again like it's a lot of that and i'm and it does make you do a fuck you also because i'm a i forget you yeah, forgot i was doing me that beautiful like that and forgot oh wait to the world you're still a brown girl you know yeah oh to the industry you're still a brown girl don't forget fuck you anyway yeah <laughs> i look forward to all those fuck yous that you make yeah. 
What's that? Yeah. Hopefully one is set in London. I hope so. Yes. Yes. We, yeah. Yeah. With a fiddle and we a... We need that. Mm-hmm. We do. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Very last, I know everybody probably knows, but where can people follow you on social media? It's just my name, Tania Saracho, uh, on Twitter and on Instagram, but mostly I do Instagram and mostly Instagram stories. Yeah. That's like my, my diary. I love it. Else. I love your Instagram okay. stories. They're great. There's no brand. It's just, just what it is. Awesome. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for chatting with us, Tanya. It's yeah. really been a delight. Amazing. Oh, this is so I'm fun. I'm so glad we did this. So fun. Thanks for taking and thank the time. Thank you for making Vita. Just thank you for telling your stories. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. It's so touching. Like, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, hopefully now people can enjoy it, you know, like these three seasons as a, like it happened. Yeah. You know? Totally. Yeah. I'm really excited yeah. to see what you make next. Yeah. I'm crossing you can find us at abrighterlens.com and at abrighterlens on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at abrighterlens at gmail.com. You can download the show wherever you listen to podcasts and on Apple Podcasts where we'd love it if you left us a review. Our theme song was composed by Jesse Nelson. Our logos were designed by Meg Cafferty. Our associate producer is Elise Welch. A Brighter Lens was created by Jennifer Zollett and Larkin Bell. 